You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust, committed to conservation. You ever get into a conversation and you forget it's recording and you're actually recording a podcast? Because <laughs> we have. Happened last week. That's why it's not on the air. <laughs> yeah. We, uh... We're a little late putting this one out. We got off the rails last week on our last episode, and about an hour and 15 minutes in, I think we decided we we were a little bit too far out there and getting into something that was a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know that it was inappropriate as much as it was just not the subject content we're trying to deliver. There's <laughs> more opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Than fact. And yeah. That's not what we're about. I guess. What was it? Um, I've got a great segue that's going to lead into something later. But use at any point you feel like Jeff mm-hmm. Moose. Yep, from Backcountry and Beyond. Our good buddy. Our good buddy um, gave Cody a little introduction for a hour and thirty minute presentation that you gave ah. over there at Backcountry and Beyond that we'll talk about Ooh. in a little bit. Um, but he said in his introduction talked about the podcast and said. It's 40% goofing off and 60% facts, which I think is, and like, and, and, and good wildlife information, which you said followed up with, I think it's more 60 40. <laughs> yeah, I think you're 60 40 your goofing flip-flop. off. Yeah. But, uh, so we'll try to stay in that 60 40 range. Anyways, it was nice of him to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about it. Hey, I didn't tell you this. Um, he's actually going to be on soon. We're going to have him on the show. That's good. We're going to talk about gear with him but anyways we'll get into that in a little bit talk uh give the update give the update everybody wants to know about tell them them what's up another river dance is in the books and if you came thanks yeah you mm -hmm. you missed out it was a good one it was a big one um you missed the the highlight what was the biggest hit what was the biggest hit the the tractor was the hit beer tractor yep which I think we've we've talked about on before. I don't know if we have or not, but I did, we I don't, definitely didn't think we went into detail on it because we didn't know if it was going to work. Oh, it worked. It was a it was like a science science experiment that I I was so sure that it was going to work that I didn't even have a backup plan. We really didn't <laughs> had no backup plan. Yeah, but uh, it did a few work. a few unexpected twists and turns. So okay, what we're talking about? Cody drove our tractor from. Davy County, through the middle of downtown Salisbury. Took a lap, yep. Took a lap. We actually stopped over at the at the car wash, um, which is a whole different can of worms. Car washes are. We can talk about that too, as far as let's let's go ahead and talk about it. Car washes are far more expensive now than they've ever been. And we're not talking about the one you like sit in your car and ride through. We're talking about the one where you pull in the bay and you wash it yourself. With a pressure washer, those they went from seventy-five cents. It's two bucks just to get going, just to get going. For what? Two minutes? Three minutes? I think it's four minutes for two dollars. The the audacity of that business model to be like, you give us, you give us two dollars, and we're gonna give you four minutes of water, and we're not gonna do any work. You have to do everything yourself, and no mud washing. 
And I, yeah, and then yeah, and and don't don't spray off all your mud in our bay. Either. Yeah, I purposely would like to take more mud up there. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, we detailed. We this ran tractor. through ran through about fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars later, yeah. we got the tractor that looked new. Uh-huh. Um, but anyways, brought it here to the trolley barn right near our office. Filled the front end loader full of beers, ice, and ice, ice and beers. And chew lines in there too. Yep, uh, pretty hot. So. The few hiccups we ran into was the one unexpected one was that the water condensation on the outside of the, the front steel, end loader, the steel bucket yeah. on the front end loader, was dripping onto the floor, which wouldn't have been a big deal except for the floor is concrete and it would get slippery. And it was inside the building. It was in yeah, it was indoors. The yeah. factory was indoors. So, mm-hmm. so we uh, came up with a solution to catch that water in the coolers that were holding our ice. So that worked out well. And then tell them about your science that okay. you worked up. So this, the bucket has these two plugs in the back of it that you can pop out to drain water out of it if it's sitting or whatever. Well, we popped one of those out, and I took a, uh, a piece of uh, PEX tubing and ran it to the bottom below the ice, the bottom of the bucket, anchored it there, and then started a siphon and kept it below the bucket and ran it down into a five gallon bucket behind the tractor and so all night it was just steadily siphoning off the the melted ice as it went so there wasn't just slush in there and we could keep fresh ice on it the whole time you stuck it in there you stuck it in there gave it one good suck yeah and then that baby drained for the rest of the, the night. rest of the night drained yeah. 20 gallons off of it it really did yeah at least it worked great we also ran through about 400 bucks of ice yep yep that's one thing I wanted to bring up. If you can be our ice guy, free ice whenever we need it, <laughs> we'll give you we'll give you the sponsorship deal of the century. Yeah, I'd like a what we need is somebody that has a refrigerated truck and does ice that can back that baby up to an event and we get ice as we need it and then just get like the build at the end of the night or whatever. Just a bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, some some ice here and there would be cool. <laughs> Literally. Uh, yeah, so I know I personally took a handful of pictures of people sitting up in the tractor. Oh, people loved it. We had it had these little uh, like incandescent-type string lights wrapped all around the tractor and draped into the bucket so you could see what you were grabbing. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was cool. It was cool. People, people had never seen it before. If you're having a wedding and you got yourself a front end loader sitting around, yeah, there you go. It's also extremely convenient because, like, when the event was over Sunday, we went back to you clean don't up. To, you don't have to do anything. Yeah, you just dump it. Yep, just dump it. Drive back, just drive it off, dump the water. Yep, it was really nice. Um, second important thing from that event was the results are in from our fishing trips and the woodcock hunt that we put out. Um, for live auction. For the live auction this year. Yeah. Before I give the results, do you have any excuses that you want to give? or? Um... Okay, yeah. Uh, my, my, problem was, <laughs> my problem was this. It was on the live auction. All of our trips were. And so the auctioneer had not done his homework as far as how to sell this thing. He did not know what he was selling. And it makes for a poor salesman when you don't know what you're selling. 
what product it is. And so therefore, the bids ran lower than I would have liked. Um, that said, they still ran plenty high. I think the I think the other reason is this. We this year was the biggest. We raised double the amount of money that we've ever raised at Riverdance, which we're really excited about, and that's all money that's going to go to conservation work that we do uh, and fund. Hopefully, a lot of the awesome events and 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 easements and things that we're doing over here at the Land Trust, and we've got coming up as we try to get four thousand acres conserved this year um, by the end of December. Um, but that being said, there were so many different like fund needs, and we had over 40 silent auctions and we had a dessert dash where people made bids on desserts and then the last thing up after everybody was extremely generous all yeah, night long that's the other thing they were tapped out mm-hmm. they were I mean the auctioneer, I, I just dogged the auctioneers but they did a great job I mean they put on a show that people loved mm-hmm. and they were excellent at just pure tea fundraising yeah which, so by the time the live auction rolls around, everybody's just, everybody's tapped out. They're just ready to party at this point. Yeah, but there's still a few things left, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Go ahead. We tied. Straight up. You beat me by 200 bucks last year. Yeah. And then I guess word got out about your trip. <laughs> oh, no, no, word didn't get out because the guy who bought both our trips last year didn't even come. Yeah. He wasn't even there this year. I'm going to go ahead and... I'm going to go ahead and recycle a line that we used on our last podcast that we talked about um, that we had to cancel because of the inappropriate nature of our podcast. But um, that fellow's name who bid on both of our, both of our um, trips last year was named Gene. Yeah. And uh, what the hell, Gene? Where were you this year? Uh, It's a good question. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping you're okay. Yeah. But kind of concerned yeah so anyways a little bit furious yeah felt like we had <laughs> formed a bond over a over a hunting trip just goes to show you gods don't gods aren't appreciated <laughs> i bet you he's got his own bird dogs and his yeah, uh, he's his out own, at your spot he's got his own bird dogs and his own fly fishing gear <laughs> yeah. now and he's probably slaying trout in the right spots now. that you took him and come up here hunting season i'm gonna bump into him yeah. bird hunting me yeah. and Gene are going to get in a fight. Yeah, he's going to be like, <laughs> he's going to be like, oh, it was, it's been really good over the last week. I think I, I thinned out your spot, though. I'm not sure there's any birds left in here. Well, no, I don't think he would do that. But, anyways, it was just crazy that he wasn't there. We were expecting to see him. Oh man. Uh, um, yeah. So we, I think I don't necessarily think there's any problem with saying how much they went for. No, your your woodcock trip that you did last year. Mm-hmm. Went for yeah a lot last year, yeah. and went for three hundred and fifty this year. No, I went for five this year. Oh, five five hundred one yeah. five hundred one. That's right. That's yeah. right. And then your, which I said ahead of time, your catfishing trip would pull more. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. And it did. It got a uh, five hundred and fifty dollars. And there were more people bidding on it. Well, I had I had multiple people come up to me and say, "Tell me a little bit more about Cody's catfishing trip." You're probably like, yeah, it's going to suck. No, <laughs> no I, 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 pro- I did not. I did yeah, not. If you really want a fishing trip, that trout fishing trip <laughs> where you need to be looking. Um, <laughs> speaking of the trout fishing trip, you gave me a, a pretty hard time about my advertising. Oh, oh, I need to talk about that. Yeah. I need to, I need to just interrupt you and tell, tell folks about Sam. 
Sam is a propaganda wizard. In the biz, I think they refer to that as false advertising. Because the photo that he had for his advertisement of this trip was him and his boys in Montana, in Yellowstone, with two giant cutthroats, like, leaned over with a sunset backdrop, snow-capped mountains, and he's advertising that as what they're going to be doing. His trip here is not a trip to Yellowstone. It's a trip to the North Carolina mountains, which is great, but it's just, I don't know, I think it was, like, upscaled to the point where I was like, man, I should have got some better pictures. (laughs) Well, I'm going to throw Aaron under the bus for a second. Okay. Um, Because he said something that made me laugh so hard and Aaron's my roommate by the way and the guy that was in the picture of me with me holding cutthroats and you brought up the false advertising uh, propaganda thing as soon as you saw the picture well you walked off and he said I'm going to tell Cody um, why is your brother in your picture holding a bigger fish than you are he said he said verbatim he's like oh I didn't realize this was a trip with your brother not a trip with you it was on my boat. <laughs> I thought it would be weird for me to put a bunch of pictures of me up. Yeah, I, I did the same I, I thing. I was like, that, yeah. that's, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Solo shots. Yeah. Selfies of you holding cats. Yeah, that's just like, why would you want to go with that guy? Yeah. Why would you put, that guy's a lonely SOB. But if, but if you put pictures of folks that you took. Yeah. I get it. I totally get it. I mean, at least that was my mindset. I, I like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I see where Aaron was coming from, too. But... Yeah, I got to say, I got things to say to Aaron about that. <laughs> <laughs> I have things to say. Um, but yeah, my trip went for $550 as well. So we have a, le- a legitimate tie yeah. um, mm-hmm. on how much we raised, and that's great. I mean, that's... Yeah, we're, we're ecstatic. Over it's the moon about it. Legit, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how we're going to settle this top guy problem. That's, <laughs> wait till next year, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to do. Or we'll, you know, I guess the the next step will be just talking about our trips when they happen, and um, well, we know. And that let y'all decide who so had a better trip. My fishing trip is going to be great because I know you guaranteed a hundred pounds of catfish. Yeah, but I also know who's coming. Like I knew the I knew the guys mm-hmm. that bought it. So it's uh, you know, it's going to be uh, you know, that's that's like just going with my friends yeah. kind of deal. It's not going with strangers. Mm-hmm. So and um. A couple that I'd never met before bought my trip, and they're um, a somewhat older couple. But when they, when he won, I think I talked to him after, and she, his wife, was the one who grew up fly fishing uh, with her dad. Yeah, and hadn't been fly fishing in years, and I saw, I saw a little smooch when he won her that trip. Nice. So that one felt real good. So that, that was a win for him yeah, all the yeah. way around. Uh-huh. Good. Uh-huh. Well, uh, so you were standing there, the folks that won the Woodcock trip, which went for 501. 501. Mm-hmm. Um, his, uh, I guess it was his dad, came up. Mm-hmm. I was standing there. We were talking, yeah. we were talking bird dogs and, and uh, you know, just about Woodcock hunting in general. And, and uh, he hadn't, he'd done more quail hunting, not a lot of Woodcock hunting. And, and uh, I was like, well, because his son won the trip. And he's, I said, was well, your son a good shot? And he said, yeah, but his wife's better. <laughs> and I just about died. And then they came up later, and, and they pretty much said, he said, yeah, I'm a good shot, but, yeah, she's a better shot. So we're, uh, it's going to be him and his wife, and we're going we're gonna to see a, see a lady get her first woodcock. That'll be cool. Yeah, that'll be really cool. 
So that's Riverdance. Um, I guess in the coming months, um, we will give a report about how our trips go and um, let y'all decide who's the top guide, I guess. Yeah, my trips won't be till. well, one will be this winter and one will be next spring. Yeah. So. Mine will be coming up in October or so, November. Yeah, so mine, mine are a little ways out. Yeah. But let's... Uh, Let's transition to. Uh, let's talk about. Let's talk about your your talk over at Backcountry and Beyond. Well, we'll talk. Let's talk. Let me let me slide into that by how it kind of came to be. Well, not how it came to be, but something that happened in the time frame that it was coming okay. to be that we sure. were doing that. So, if you remember, I don't know if it was the last podcast or when, but at some point, we pretty much said that if we don't start getting some positive feedback this thing's kind of over because we've got to be able to justify a reason to do it and that it's helping the cause of furthering conservation and it's not just me and Sam sitting around the office for an hour um, talking. So, you know, Sam and I both knew that there's people out there, you, the listener, that that are definitely important and are contributing, but we needed a way to show that so we can you know, justify this. Well, after saying that little bit, that little blurb that we did, um, Backcountry and Beyond store owner, um, Jeff, came by one day while Sam and I were actually out in the field working and dropped off a, uh, I mean, I guess i just say it. I mean, yeah. he, dro- he dropped off a brand new Bowtech compound bow in the box, Chris Kyle edition compound bow. Um, it's a sweet, set up we'll drop away rest um dropped it off just for us to raffle off at some point so couldn't couldn't thank him enough for that that's something yeah that's something that we'll uh, get to raffle off at one of our events when we when we've got a heavy sportsman crowd and yeah so look for that uh coming up if you're interested in a uh a Botech compound bow that used to be brand new it's got a signed certificate uh, uh, signed by chris kyle is it signed it's I not think, signed by chris not, kyle no no, it can't be signed by Chris Kyle. Um, sure about that? Well, he's passed away, so it would be impossible. Well, I mean, it would have been before, right? I don't know. I have no. Not. I think it was made after the movie was made. Oh, okay. So, okay. Um, it's a certificate of authenticity of oh. how many there were. There oh, were. Okay, made, I got I you. Okay, that um, makes sense. I think's what it is. Um, if you're not familiar with Chris Kyle, he's American hero. Yeah. So watch the movie. Um, it's it's incredible and sad, but incredible. Yeah. But anyways, um, moving on from that, we also got some great feedback in our comments section on, I guess it was the iTunes, mm-hmm. whatever. So anyways, thank you for those. Um, I think one of those, one of those had, it's like they're all anonymous, but one of them has I've like, got like cool, so you all make up these cool names, like you've got all these cool like handles, yeah. I, I want to call them. Yeah, one of them was like Hub City burger or something like that well i'm from spartanburg and like spartanburgers are the name of our citizens a nickname for our citizens and then our town is also called hub city because it's like a bicycle town so that very well could have been like my parents uh, <laughs> well they said something nice they but uh, yeah it could have been somebody else that i know from spartanburg um whoever it was really nice um for them to for them to write in and um I'm sure my parents wouldn't even tell me if it was them, anyways, to make me feel good. So yeah, I, 
and that's what parents. But do. we got a, we got a few others, you know. I mean, there's, there's really nice stuff, several, so. and uh, what you could do if you really want to do us a solid is uh, get your buddy to do it too, mm-hmm. um, because that's how we can get, promote it and keep it going, and yeah, and make sure that it's viable. But yeah. anyways, so all that was leading up to this, which was I was asked a while back to come and talk at Backcountry and Beyond, which is a store that we're going to talk about later um, in another episode because he's actually going to come on the show, I hope, at some point, and we're going to talk gear. But um, in the meantime, I was asked to come give a presentation on wildlife plantings and, and you know, kind of just general habitat management and specifically, you know, planning for game animals for hunting purposes or whatever, viewing, observation, you know, the whole gamut of, you know, different reasons why it's good. So I, I was kind of going into it with uh, not a whole lot of guidance on what was wanted, but I knew I had to fill a pretty long time frame, over an hour. And I, I, I'm not great in a scenario where I've got to captivate more than one person's attention for more than 30 minutes. After that 30 minute mark, I've kind of used up all my all my gas on, you know, I've said everything that I can say and I'm kind of just done. I mean, it's a pretty nerve wracking thing, man. And I was expecting there to not be, you know, five or six folks. Yeah. There were 30 people there. Yeah. 25 people, uh-huh. 30 people, yeah, I don't know. Like that. And it was coming up a thunderstorm and I mean, there were plenty more that said they were coming and couldn't because of the weather or whatever. But anyways, it was there was a lot of people there, and so we did this presentation and and it went okay, I guess. But it was just uh, hats off to public speakers. It's it's intimidating to sit there and try to talk about something and be knowledgeable about it, even though you probably know you wouldn't have been asked to speak if you didn't know about it. But it's just hard to spit that out. Yeah. Yeah, you got 50 eyeballs on you. You're talk, yeah. and you got to talk for an hour and a half uninterrupted. And there, there was a point where I was just like, "Can we get some water up front?" I yeah. mean, I'm just, I, I need. I'm parched. I'm, par- I'm a little parched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, man. I was just, I was choking up. It was hot um, in there. I want to talk before we move on from that. Um, and thank you to Jeff for having you. Oh in the first yeah, place. absolutely. Super, super I, and nice. I, I actually very much enjoyed it and. I did got too. Some, and I got some great feedback, um, which was super nice from everyone that came. I got, I don't know, half a dozen emails wanting the presentation. And so actually, it's going to be up on the website. It may be up there now. Um, so if you want to look at it, go to the landowner tab on our website. And you but can see let's, it. Give a, let's give a quick 10 minute recap on some of the, the hot tips and points from that presentation. Because I learned, I learned some things that I didn't necessarily know, and I've spent a lot of time around you. Um, it was really good information. Um, so I guess the first one, I'm just going to go through a few things that I, that really stood out to me and then you can kind of fill in, um, where I'm, where I'm coming shy. Um, the all around best plant that you can put out for all game species and critters on the landscape. You had a list of your preferred mix or your preferred seed to put out for critters um, here in the central Piedmont, mm-hmm. and that was buckwheat. Yeah, and that number was one, right? Based on a, not just the values, but also the price. Mm-hmm. Bang for the buck was buckwheat. Yeah, that was my that was my pick. Um, 
Top pick, Buckwheat. Talk about why. Well, for one, it benefits so many species from insects and pollinators all the way up to turkeys that are eating those same insects to the deer that are foraging on you know the, the leaves to the quail that are foraging underneath the hard seed that it produces doves love it you know songbirds love it provides cover forage and it's really fast growing and you can get a whole bunch of crops off of it in a year so that's why i like it mm-hmm. and it's cheap and it's easy to plant you know any anybody can plant buckwheat it's easy um so that that was kind of the reasons for it but yeah and there the other things people really liked or seemed to like was those mixes they wanted to know you know exactly what mixes i recommended for for where and and why and the cost and how to how to get those started so that was that was kind of the highlights of it. um yeah so we like re- in regards to the mixes um and i'm just going to touch on a few different things so when you were talking about putting in a planting um you liked old road beds mm-hmm. or long narrow mm-hmm. strips where you have enough sunlight that your planting is going to get at least four hours of yep, sunlight during key. the day. That's key. Um, but it's not like going through and planting a homogenous um, seed type or whatever it is, mixture all the way across. You like to stair step. So imagine you've got a 50-foot wide roadbed um, with pines on one side and hardwoods on the other. What you would do, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, would be come in and on the edges put in a buckwheat border or some kind of a CRP border, whatever it is, something that's going to grow a little bit taller mm-hmm. and then have your mixture in the middle with whether it be millets or, or clover or whatever. That way it stair steps down into the center of that yep, line. That's, that's pretty much what I like. Um, why, why the long strips? Well, I mentioned that in the, in the show um, really because you're impacting more animals per acre per dollar spent because you're covering a lot more acreage linearly and therefore you're overlapping a bunch of different animals home ranges Mm -hmm. um, by doing that and so in turn you're benefiting a lot more species and also um, animals feel a lot safer when they're closer to cover more edge more cover closer to their food it's all about that arrangement of having it all close by and so it's a lot safer for animal to do that rather than them to go forage on a clover patch in the middle of a wide open field you know deer deer for example are usually very cautious when entering a field and they're going to hang out on the edge until dark before they go out into the center if you had that roadbed scenario they'll be in the center within seconds because you know the center is easy to reach Mm -hmm. so that's so instead of say it's you've got five acres of roadbed which spans a half mile or five acres of a square field you're covering significantly more range and have more edge on that on that five you're going to get a lot more. five acres yep. of roadbed you're okay. going to help a lot that makes more. sense yep so that was that was pretty much the key the key highlights and i mean the show's online you can look at one it. more one more thing i think people I'm, I'm interested in it and i think other people are interested in it too we talked about buckwheat yep um instead of buying your recommendation was, and I want to hear about your top mix, but instead of buying a pre-made mix, which might have some filler in it or something something that you don't necessarily want, you kind of recommend buying 
each component of its mix. I recommend making your own mix, yeah. Ma- and then making it and mixing it yourself. Uh, it's cheaper in the long run. Now, you'll spend more initially because each bag costs a price versus buying one bag of mix. But at least you know what you have in it. But you're going to go a lot farther with it, so you're going to you're gonna wind up coming out way cheaper. And you can get the proper ratio of what you want. Um, so that was my deal with mixes. And I like, so mainly the mixes we talked about were cool season mixes because that's what, that's what people are interested in, and this time of year that's what people are doing. Um, so the top one I was recommending would have been a mix of, of Crimson clover, um, white Ladino clover, um, Austrian winter peas, and then wheat or oats. And then I mentioned why um, each of those were important and told them that, you know, the big deal was you needed something out there to hold deer and, you know, those critters that are foraging on that, you know, those first green shoots that come up, you need something to tide them over so the other stuff can become established. If you just planted clover, you know, if you just planted crimson clover, in a highly populated deer area, there's a good chance they're going to browse that thing to the ground and you're never going to see it. Mm-hmm. And they're, and it's just not going to do any good for any amount of time. That brings up a good point. Um, you talked about the utilization of an exclosure. So mm-hmm. taking like hog paneling or chicken wire, whatever it is that you have, something that a deer can't, or a critters can't get into. And if you say you can't do the roadbed scenario or even the roadbed scenario, whatever it is, at some point in your planting, have what ten by ten feet? No, 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 no. And then uh, four by four is plenty. Four by four feet. Yeah. And put that chicken wire or hog paneling around it, and that way you have a baseline to know what that uh, what that plot looks like without any forage. It, without any pressure. Without so, any pressure on it. Yeah. So if animals didn't touch it, what would have happened to mm-hmm. it? And then you can kind of gauge your success and know, yeah, you've got too high of a population of critters that are foraging or they need more forage because it's too little or you've got just the right amount. Yeah, if that doesn't make sense, basically imagine you go to all this hard work and put in this planting and then you go out to your field um, after it matures and there's it's just like bare ground and you're like, oh, it completely failed. Yeah, crop failed. My crop failed, this sucked. Um, and that's it. You don't know anything about it. Whereas if you had done the same exact thing and put that exclosure in and there was crop inside the exclosure and then everything else was bare ground, you would know, okay, my crop didn't fail. Just the forage was and the pressure was so heavy on this field that they ate everything and and tore it up. Yep. And you can't even judge that with trail cameras. Um, you can put trail cameras around a field, but it won't tell you what a what a exclosure will because yeah. the trail camera can't tell you how much they're consuming. You yeah. know, you don't know what they're consuming. Yeah. You just know they're standing there. Yeah. So that that's the that's why I like them. Mm-hmm. But anyways, people seem to people seem to dig it. I dug it. Yeah, they seem to dig the the tips that I gave. Um it wasn't new information by any means. Um just uh things that I've picked up along the way. You called me that night and you were like, be honest. <laughs> yeah, I did say Did that, that suck? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I have no clue. Did that suck? And I guess what I told you is this. You had 20, 25 people there yeah. that took, got off work, this is their free time, and they came out and listened to your talk, which is, that's meaningful, that's significantly meaningful. And That's, that's pressure, that's pressure yeah, on me I'm glad, You said, I'm glad you didn't tell me that before. Second part, nobody got up and left. 
<laughs> not a soul. Not a soul got up and walked out. Which was, and you know, Sam said that's a win. What right more there. can you ask for? Yeah. yeah. And nobody was, everybody was like, it was, you did a really good job. So yeah. either they were overly, it was an overly nice group of people or I did an okay job. Yeah. So either way, there's a chance that that'll happen again at some point, um, somewhere. But anyways, yeah, it, it was it was a long, long time to captivate folks. An hour and a half talking about planting food plots is a, let's a, get in, let's, a lot of talking about <laughs> food plots. So you had a lot of slides. Here's a critique. You had a lot of slides catered towards doves. You know, I, I did. And I because think, I expected. Yeah. Because I get a lot of questions about doves. Yeah. That was a deer hunting crowd. Though they were about deer. Yeah, they were about deer. Could care less about deer. So well, you I had to say on could the, care less. But yeah. you had to on the fly kind of prepare, just talk about. Oh, I had to deer. swing it. I had to swing it hard. Yeah, swing it to deer. So now I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about what we've been doing up with our dove plantings. <laughs> that way you can get your dove. Get it fixed. off my chest. <laughs> yeah, because I know you want to. You've well, been just, It's so much more fun to talk about dove habitat than deer because you can do so much more mm-hmm. and it's just so much more exciting because and can, it's the time of year we're, and, we're already we're, excited about we're it. already jonesing about it yeah i'm smiling just thinking about it yeah and i've been doing it you know for the past two weeks that's what i've been doing yeah but the thing about it is is it's all warm season stuff for the most part um and these so let me first lay down the law the laws are such that you can hunt migratory birds over a crop as long as it is a normal agricultural practice. But with morning doves, you can manipulate a crop specifically for hunting purposes. But you cannot artificially place or concentrate food items. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So. To spell it out, what I mean is you can't go out and dump seed out of the bag and hunt over it. You can't go out and top sow a species that would not normally be sown for agriculture and hunt over it. You can't top sow a species that would be normally sown for agriculture and hunt over it if it's at a higher rate than what would normally be planted for you agriculture. You can't go top sow. You can't go to Lowe's. Get bird bird feeder mix, and top and top sow it. Yeah, you can't you can't even go buy winter wheat and top sow it right now mm-hmm. at a higher rate than what would normally be planted. Yeah, but you can depending on the part of the state you're in, the extension office sets the dates on when it's a normal agricultural practice to do, and August is in our window, so you could potentially hunt over tops on winter wheat right now. Well, when dove season when comes dove in. season comes in, but which anyways, opening day is on the second? It's Labor on day. Labor Day this year. So, anyways, that said, that's why it's so fun to do dove crops is because you can manipulate them and do all these cool little things that you can't do for other critters that you're planting for. I mean, you can manipulate it for deer, obviously, but for birds, I mean, you can't do this kind of stuff for duck for waterfowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, you there's just, no top sowing corn in your in your duck <laughs> pond. Yeah, nobody tops those corn anyway, so that's a, yeah. that'd be outlaw. That'd be illegal yeah. either way. Yeah. But you can't go, you can't go mow corn. Yeah. So uh-huh. you can't go bush hog corn and yeah. then duck hunt over it. Yeah. It's got to be harvested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hunt over cut corn that's been actually legitimately harvested, 
they can't go in with the combine and just blow it out the back. Yeah. I mean, can't do it. Yeah. So, but you can for doves. So, it's kind of wild. But anyways, that said, um, what I like about this dove thing is, is there's a ton of different species, uh, species of plant that you can plant that are fun to mess with. And uh, what we've done this year is, is sunflowers and, and a variety of millets and, of course, buckwheat, which I'm a, I'm a big uh, proponent of. And funny side fact. Yeah, that is. Let me not, let me, let me make sure I get this right. So Ben Franklin wrote a letter to someone. I cannot remember who it was. It was, it was a president. And I cannot remember which one. But he wrote a letter. And it was before he was a president. They were just friends. And he wrote a letter, and it's, I should look it up before I even talk about it. But Go ahead. Anyway, just wing it. he wrote a letter talking about buckwheat and how the nation should be focusing more on buckwheat as a commodity crop because it's so beneficial for wildlife and just in general a great crop. I'm going to fact check that here in a while. Fact checked it. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure it was Ben Franklin. Okay. I'm pretty sure I'm not getting him mixed up with George. It's been a long time since I read that. Keep going. But anyways, yeah, look it up. But um, anyway, so we did, we planted all this stuff, and you let it, you plant it based on when it's going to mature so that it'll, if you want to have an opening day, i.e. Labor Day dove hunt, that it's going to be completely mature with good hard seed and dry prior to Labor Day. But not too early because you don't want it to all fall over and germinate and come back up and then you not have any seed because you're trying to draw these birds in and keep them all year so we do a couple different things we keep winter wheat standing throughout the year and then we come back in and burn that you know mid-summer to leave the seed on the ground for the birds get them coming feed them keep them happy and we've got millet planted it's maturing we've got buckwheat planted it's maturing it's already made a crop and dropped and it's on its third crop now but anyways this time of year i've went in I've made sure that uh, all my millet's dry, and we're starting to we've put in disc lines. Doves love bare ground and places to get grit, so we disc a bunch of strips in, mow our sunflowers in strips, then we go in and we actually burn our millet. Hopefully, um, we've had some some pretty bad weather lately, so it may wind up being that it's a mowed millet field this year, which I you can do, but I dislike because those doves they have relatively weak beaks. I mean. Nobody's ever said, I hope that dove doesn't bite me, you know. <laughs> yeah, nervous about picking it up. Nobody, nobody's ever said that. Yeah. Um, doves are, uh, they've got really weak beaks, so they, they can't, and they've got weak feet, too. They can't dig through thatch like a turkey or something and scratch for forage. They've got, it's got to be right on the bare ground. And also, imagine a dove landing in a field. If it's a stubble field that's just been mowed, all those little to us you know we can just walk on it and it's fine but to a dove that's a gazillion punji stakes sticking up out of the ground for them to have to figure out how to land on so i don't know that people put that into perspective but that's why mode is not necessarily as good as burn burn removes all that thatch all those little punji stakes from being mowed and they can land on bare ground and just pick the seed right off the top of the ground um, so anyways, that's, that's some of the things we're doing and, and I'm excited about it. And it's, and I love being able to see the fruits of our labor as in every time we go out and manipulate a strip and add a little more seed to the ground 
you know, the next day or two, there's more birds than there were the day before and more than the day before that. And it's just really exciting. And then you get to see all your hard work come together when opening day rolls around and everybody comes out and has just a phenomenal time. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting. It is exciting. Here's your fact. Oh, did, you, did you get it? Uh, no, not really. But I found an article with... Here, it's just... The article is entitled... Ben Franklin's mortgage on the Daniel Boone farm. Okay. So it ties in Daniel Boone. It's all stuff I like. Ben Franklin and Buckwheat. You're going to have to read this later. But okay. the only thing that I've found that's tying the two together as, I mean, this is a huge article. But it's talking about a letter that was sent from Benjamin Franklin's mom to Benjamin saying that their mortgager, Mr. Mogridge, came over to the house and cooked them, brought buckwheat flour. Is that right? Yeah, I'm sure. And they made some hot cakes, and it was the best hot cake she'd ever had. <laughs> that's all, <laughs> well, I, that's, okay. that's all so I'm that, seeing. I have so no maybe, idea what that well, means. Um, well, maybe they had pancakes made out of buckwheat flour. I, I guess. And it's I great. Know. I've not tried that. I, I don't know. We'll, have to, I'll, we'll come back next week and talk more about that. See if That's I can find more. So I'm no, going to read that whole article. Well, well, now you got me thinking maybe it was George Washington that did that. I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was one of them great old guys. Yeah. One, one of them old. <laughs> one of them great forefathers. One of them forefathers. Uh, man, I wish I would have checked that before I. We'll come back been, next man, week. Man, it's been 10 years since I read that, and I just cannot remember. It's driving me crazy It was now. off the hip. That's all right. But anyways. So, yeah, um, doves. So we're doing all this, and come opening day when everybody comes and has a good time and they see more doves than they've ever saw, that just makes you feel good, makes you know that you did something right. And all, all that in the meantime, it's not just about the doves. You're creating habitat for, you know, 70 other species, you know, in the landscape. So that's, that's why I like it. And that's, unfortunately, we didn't talk much about it in the presentation the other night <laughs> did a lot of talking about but, uh, that said protein feeders for deer yeah we did some talking about protein mm-hmm. feeders um, but let's talk doves and why dove hunting is important because we, we you and I got into this on that other episode the uh, deep track the one that we deleted yeah yeah um, so we we haven't put this out to the world mm-hmm. and I'm not sure the world I think the hunting community is aware of it. Some of them. Yeah, some of them. I don't think many of them are. The thing about dove hunting is, is it's, number one, they're the most popular game animal in North America. Hands down, by long shot. Most popular. And there are a few states, there are a select few states, unfortunately, that do not have dove seasons, which that really is poor for those folks up there. And I say up there because they're up north. Yep. Um, and I hate it for them because they're really missing out. And they know they are. And their game commissions have even said, you know, you know, it's just something we it's out of our control because they're classified as a different animal that's a non-game animal. They're classified as a songbird. Songbird. So, oh, well. But you know what? Over in France, they love eating robins. So, <laughs> <laughs> so That's all right. It's more doves in our flyway that are coming our way. Yeah. The weather pushes yeah, them down. Fine. So, so there's... There are 350 million mourning doves. That's the population nationwide. That's an estimate. You know, I didn't go out and count yeah. every single dove. But, anyways, there's a ton of them. And the population is already 
significantly artificially inflated because they benefit so much from human disturbance. Agriculture, human manipulation of the landscape, it makes seed that much more available to them. As long as they've got places to roost and nest, their recruitment is phenomenal because there's so much food available because of you know all of our agricultural practices. And just our road practices alone benefit doves because of all the roadsides. You know, you've got food there everywhere. They've got the grit they can get right off the, you know, right off the pavement, basically. I mean, everything's working out in a dove's favor. I'm glad you brought that up because I, um, this Sunday, a couple days ago, I, uh, we had our safety briefing for the Sportsman mm-hmm. Access Program. Um, only had six people show up, but that was all right because three of them were sports members and also coming to the dove hunt. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to go down and see the dove field. So we walked down there. Um, our good friend, uh, Mr. Ware, yeah, was there. Yeah, good. Ralph Ware and his buddy, Kevin. And Kevin, we were talking about doves, and he was asking, why am I seeing less doves? Why am I not shooting as many limits as I used to? And we had talked about this prior. <laughs> I would have had a really smart-ass <laughs> answer to that. He's seeing less, <laughs> seeing less doves. <laughs> And not having the shoots that I used to have. And I guess my response to that was along the similar lines, but you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. But the population of doves is extremely high. They're just spread all across, and they're extremely highly concentrated in areas where there's human manipulation, whether Mm -hmm. that be bird feeders or construction sites, places with grit, neighborhoods, subdivisions, places where there's that manipulation is drawing in a lot more birds. They're not in the rural areas necessarily, in the agricultural areas only now. They're everywhere. Right. And the other, my other non-smart aleck answer to his question would have been, well, are you able to hunt the same places you used to be able to? Are they the same way they used to be? Because nine times out of ten, like I, I grew up dove hunting, kind of my bread and butter as a, as a wing shooter. That's That's what we did. And there were dairies everywhere where I grew up. And so everybody cut silage in August, getting ready for the winter, and that's what they fed cows. Silage is early cut green corn. Nobody has a dairy anymore. The dairies went out of business. Um, Most of them aren't even farms anymore, but the ones that are aren't cutting silage. And so those fields that used to be ready on opening day, they aren't there. They're planted in something else. And so therefore, the dove shoots we used to have we don't have anymore and so if he's if that's the case then he's right there with every other american yeah sure um, i think i think it was more i think it was more so that not a but no you're of hand-eye coordination or <laughs> well that's where i would have went with <laughs> yeah. it for sure if he would have said that to me um i've been like well i got one answer for you <laughs> yeah. why aren't you shooting better yeah. <laughs> but um so anyways there's there's a ton of birds and hunting, and I actually shot with him. He's a good shot too, so, so it wasn't that okay? Yeah. Well, then there you go. Uh-huh. So he's saying he's seeing less, seeing less birds, observing less, observing birds. less birds. Well, yeah. it's it's probably a mix of both of the things we just said, and you know, there's plenty of habitat. There's plenty of habitat. It's just not huntable habitat. But uh, the population of doves, just so we can clarify, it's not hurting. By no, any means. not right now. Anyway, yeah. Um, I mean, something can happen tomorrow. But, yeah. Um, as far as that goes, they're in good shape. Um, the thing about it is, is uh, why is it so important to conservation? Doves, to me, may be the most important conservation animal of all time, hands down, because they raise more money, hands down, than any other critter. 
and they don't get the credit they deserve. I agree with that. They don't get they don't get hardly any credit for it. Um, I've never seen anybody be like, I'm getting a morning dove tattoo. Mm-hmm. You know, but people get a duck head or something. You know, yeah. uh, that's just an example. Um, nobody's wearing a, a morning dove hat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we didn't get a logo of a morning dove for yeah. our logo. I mean, we didn't. We got a largemouth bass and a duck. Yeah. We might should have thought the morning dove. I mean, um, cool. But, uh, yeah, people would have thought we were weird, I guess. But I would have loved it. Now that you mentioned it, I w- I'd like to have a dove hat. You know what? This, that may be something we just came up with on the fly there. But the thing is, how they raise that money? Well, a couple of ways. Way number one is they're the most popular game animal, and they ring in hunting season. So everybody's buying their licenses, buying their gear to go dove hunting. What was the was the dove the first thing that you ever harvested no. as a hunter? No. No? No, it was. It'll blow your mind when I tell you what my first thing was. No, it wasn't my first. My second animal would blow your mind. Second animal I ever, I ever harvested. Can I take a guess? Sure. I don't want to go easy. I mean, I would say deer, but um, you'd be wrong. Uh, let me let me think. Turkey. Nope. All right. What is it? Black bear. No kidding. Second animal I ever harvested <laughs> was a black bear. That's crazy. Yeah, you know, first was a squirrel. <laughs> first was a squirrel. Remember it like it was yesterday. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah. It's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the majority of hunters, yourself excluded, would their first harvest would be a dove. And rightfully so. I mean, it's, I'm it hoping rings, it's going to be one of my son's first harvest. Yeah, it rings in yeah. the season, like you said. Um, it's something that families, fathers and sons, or mothers and sons can do together, and uh, mothers and daughters or fathers and daughters, whoever it may be. And it's a it's a really um, it's just a fun experience all around. But let's get back to the economics of the so, real quick. Now this is gonna make hunters sound like they're horrible shots. <laughs> but this is not all hunters, this is the average hunter and the average Joe who may go shoot trap or skeet once a year. In preparation for in dove preparation season. for dove season. So he's already spent a couple boxes of shells that year that there's a tax on specifically for wildlife he's already done that then he's went and bought his license but the average guy or gal dove hunter it takes them four and a half shots to bag one bird and the limit folks is 15 so the math on that they're running through three four five boxes of shells and every box has a tax on it so you multiply that by the population of dove hunters, which is 9 million or so that are dove hunters, that's a significant chunk of change just for wildlife. And I'm not going to do the math on it because there's I'm no running, I'm running the math in my head. And I, can, I, can t- I can see your wheels spinning. Yeah. Okay, so a box of shells, $5. Nah, more like 7 now. Sorry, right. we'll just shoot for 5 because it's easier math. Okay. 25 bucks. The Pittman-Robertson... Um, Tax is eleven percent. Uh-huh. So for easy math, if it's twenty five bucks, let's say two and a half dollars of money going directly to conservation per hunter per hunt. Right. So on opening day, let's say there's five million hunters. It's okay. five million times two point five dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. And that's not even that's over ten that's, million. And, and that's, that's over a ten way million. Way low bucks. estimate because there's you know, shells cost more, there's but more. But that's hunters. ten million bucks just in the tax on shells. Then every single one of them had to go buy a license. A firearm. Had to get their firearm. 
and there's the same tax on that. The license money goes directly to conservation to fund um, yeah, with no, I mean, state employees, all, all state wildlife money. biologists. Yeah, and, all the money from that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the purchase or acquisition of land and management of state-owned lands. Exactly what like we that. do. The yeah. things we do. Yeah. So. And and then you did you did a little search on it, and Texas has done Texas is a big-time dove hunt state. Yeah. Uh, they have the one-armed dove shoot. If you never looked that up, look that up. It's cool. But anyways, um, they done a little research, and just in Texas, dove hunters are contributing $400 million annually in taxes and expenditures to the economy. Not just wildlife, $400 million to the entire Texas economy. That's No other hobby on the planet does that. It makes sense, though. I mean, you travel to somewhere that you usually don't go, so you're burning gas. You're buying snacks. You're buying ice. We talked about how expensive. You gotta ice have is. ice. You gotta have snacks. You gotta yeah. eat somewhere. You gotta go somewhere. Stopping and getting gas. You're um, let all the money that we talked about involved in, in shells and licenses and all that stuff. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, people no, will travel. You've traveled. What's the furthest you've ever traveled for a dove hunt? Six hours. That's <laughs> <laughs> six hours. Is <laughs> uh, that Montana? No, that was in North Carolina. Oh my God. That was in North Carolina. That was a that was a back to back trip there, boy. That was a rough one. You should have asked me another statistic. What's the earliest I've ever gotten to a dove field? Go ahead. The earliest I've ever and not camped. Yeah. The okay. I've, there you go. Okay. Right. The earliest yeah, I've good. ever gotten to a dove field and not camped. Yeah. I lived forty minutes away. Yeah. From this dove field, and I was on it to make sure I had my spot at two a.m. Yeah. sitting. In the field. That's like, yeah. On my like, dove bucket. I've been there on duck hunts. I've never been there on dove hunts. Oh, nobody. I mean, well, yeah. I don't say nobody because it's it's different now. But the competition was high on this public field. It was a public field that I had managed, and I was like, not going to be not gonna be the guy snoozing and losing. Well, you'll find me on my opening day duck spot out there at 2 a.m., and yeah. I love that spot. Because the moon sets directly in front in front of where I sit, and I sit there, I get there at two in the morning or three in the morning, and I watch the moon set, and I have a thermos of coffee, and I just smash that whole thing. Oh yeah! And I'm twitching by the time this, by the time legal shooting time. <laughs> well, comes by around. the time the first dose flying around, I can barely keep my eyes <laughs> open, but I'm so excited. Yeah, I can't hold it in. But anyways, yeah. back to this thing, they're contributing all this to conservation. The morning dove, and the thing is is hunters are not even affecting 5% of the total population. So not even putting a dent in the population. These doves, so a dove, so I've had some critiques of, you know, why would you want to shoot a bird like that? Or, you know, another critique would be they mate for life. Well, a dove's life, a long granddaddy dove is five years old. Great-granddad dove is five. A normal dove, probably two. So they mate once, maybe twice, and then they die. Doves don't live long. They, they are a, uh, they're an R species, which means they, their strategy for survival is producing a lot of offspring and those offspring maturing relatively quickly and being able to fend for themselves. All right, you ready for some math? Yeah, go for it. 350 doves, okay. average this is the guesstimation for how many doves there are in the United States. 350 million. 350 million. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 5% mm-hmm. gets harvested yeah. every year. So that's 
seventeen and a half million mm-hmm. is five percent of three hundred and fifty. Seventeen and point five. I'm gonna actually pull my calculator out for this. Seventeen point five times four point five shells mm-hmm. spent on each dove. Seventy-eight and three quarters million shells are shot at doves every year. Every year. Yep. And eighty million. Eighty million shotgun shells. So that's a that's a ton of shells. That's a ton of cash. Yep. That just got dumped back into conservation. Yep. I mean. More power to a dove hunter, as far as I'm concerned. All hail, all hail the dove. Yeah, the, the Zenata macrora. MVP. Yep. Conservationist. I think so. Yeah. I definitely think so. So, anyways, we love doves, and we love dove hunting. We love eating doves. There's. What's your favorite way to eat a dove? Poppers. You like the poppers? I think that's. I think universally, dove popper. I I have transitioned to dove skewers, which is Either, which thing. is virtually a, a popper. It's just a skewer of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you put sour cream on? No, I don't do sour cream. Mm-hmm. I do cream cheese. Cream, I mean, excuse me, not sour cream, cream cheese. That's yeah, what I do. Saying. Yeah, I definitely do cream cheese and a little bit of bacon. I don't like tainting my doves with a whole lot of bacon. I do a little bacon. Doesn't need them. Doesn't need them. Peppers. Um, I definitely do peppers. Lots of peppers. Um, I'll tell you another way I like like them. You put any like sauce on them, like teriyaki or anything? Yeah, I like to marinate them in an Asian. Yeah, like an sauce. Asian sauce. If I'm gonna yeah. do the, uh-huh. if I'm gonna do the the kebab deal. Yeah. But uh, what I like. If I'm gonna um, try to do something quick, like a like a real uh, like a good bachelor meal, is I'll do a, I'll take a limit of doves, take them off the breastbone, and marinate them ever how you want to, and then throw them on the George Foreman, the old George Foreman smokeless grill. Sear them real good on that. Throw them babies on a sandwich, and then take uh, Heinz 57, and put on it. That's a phenomenal. What kind of bread did you run? Whatever's handy. Um, when I was a bachelor, it was like pretty much light bread. bread. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, you know, if you're really like trying to get spendy. Impress somebody. Yeah. yeah. Get you some sub bread of some kind. Ciabatta roll. Oh, something that you can make like a cheesesteak in. Oh, fill up the, like the gap, like a, like a fancy hot dog bun. Oh yeah. That's a, that George Foreman technique is a phenomenal way. And doves, if they're, if you don't marinate them at all, they're a bit on the liver side of flavor, I think, but they soak up marinate so well you can make them taste ever there's kind of like they're they're better they're much better than chicken because they are a flavorful bird but um they're kind of like chicken in that you can make them taste kind of whatever you want them to taste like mm-hmm. so i love them they're great um talk uh talk what makes me so mad at you about dove hunting oh gear yeah break it down what uh i'm not going to get into this too much we <laughs> talked about it so much um, We've never talked about it on here. Uh, I guess not. I've, I've, you're going to be happy to hear this. I'm I'm slowly changing my mind on my seating arrangements. Oh, that's so good, really. Yeah, I almost I bought you a seat the other night, but I knew you wouldn't use it. So well, I, I, I actually did some research. Okay, so Cody, the, probably the one thing that I do that makes Cody the most mad. And it's is, not, I wouldn't say mad. I tell him it, it makes me mad. It just blows your mind. But I just, I cannot believe it. Yeah, is... When I go out to a dove field, I have a five-gallon bucket that I like to carry. Say the color. White. It's white. Like toilet paper white. That I like to carry. I've been carrying it for years. That I carry my decoys in, my shells in, my drinks in, my sunflower seeds. Just It serves as a seat, and it serves as a carrying device. And I get to take that baby out. I carry two shirts 
Here's here's a key part of this. I carry two shirts. The one that I'm wearing, my long sleeve camo shirt or whatever I'm wearing, and then another long sleeve camo shirt in the bucket. I flip the bucket over. I put the shirt on top of the bucket. So it's camo seat. I hunt off of that. Then it's usually hot opening day. I am soaked in a soaking shirt. I take the shirt off my bucket when I'm done hunting, put that one on, and take my wet shirt and put it in the bucket. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much how I've been running it for a few years. Um, it just blew my mind when he showed up to the dove field that first time we dove hunted together, and he's toting a white bucket across the field. I'm not like, sitting on a white bucket. I was like, I'm not waving. Well, a, I didn't know that. I'm well, not waving a surrender so I, flag. So just <laughs> look at it through my eyes for a minute and see yourself coming at me through the field I look like a yeah, toting a white bucket get away from I'm me I'm like are you seriously about to sit down next to yeah, me do on not. a white bucket <laughs> yeah, do, doves yeah. can see color yeah. real good yeah um, the other thing the other gear problem that I had last year was in 2005 is that right no no I think it's later than that it's 13 years old um, so 2006 oh, I don't do math in 2006 I got my first ever shotgun on Christmas, it was a Remington 1187 12-gauge 12 semi-automatic shotgun. Great gun. And great gun, and I've used and abused that thing for 13 years. Um, served as everything from a shotgun to a boat paddle. And um, last year, it's just, I've, I've beaten it to the point of no return. And so last year during dove season, I got a little work done on it, done on it before season. But it was it was messing up on me, so it was a glorified single shot, twelve gauge during the season. So which hurt you on some birds? It hurt me on some birds, and that blew your mind too. That I was handicapping myself like that. And you, I offered you a gun. You, I was like, uh, I was like, you're more than welcome to shoot a gun that'll that'll hold three. Well, no more, no longer is that a problem. Um, you convinced me that as a oh, unmarried, you convinced, you, you convinced yourself. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I just you, just, you, you just nudged me along the way. But as an unmarried young man who likes the outdoors, now is a good time with it with the income rolling in that's enough for me to be able to get some gear that it's time for me to upgrade while I can before I have to spend my money on you other have obligations. Obligations. Yeah. Yeah. So I got myself a new shotgun and uh things are looking good for this year. Yeah, got yourself. And I might get myself a stool. So now you've got not only a primary shotgun, but a backup shotgun, right. which is right where you need to be. That's, That's right. where a serious bird hunter needs to be. That's right. And so you're you're sitting you're sitting good. But you just said what? That last thing you said, you got yourself what? I'm thinking about it. I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm considering well, look, getting myself a new dove stool. I, re- I, I looked online and I realized how inexpensive they are. I tried to tell you that. I tried to tell you. I gave five dollars. That's too mine. low. That's it's not five dollars, but I can't. No, get, I did. I waited until after one, dove season and I can bought get one. one for. Eight. Yeah, you can get one from a. Well, I just I was just at Academy, and they had them for like seven something, identical to the one I got that I paid five dollars for. Okay. But Mikey, I didn't even buy it. Let me tell you that story. Mikey was at Academy without me one day. Calls me and said, "Hey, they've got dove stools on sale for five bucks." I was like, I was just like you. I was like, "What do you mean?" She's like, they've got them on sale for five bucks. And I was like, well, do they have a back on them? Because I like the Dove stools that have a flip-up backrest. Because that's, man, that's game-changer. On a long day, sitting in a Dove field, if it's, like, slow, being able to rest your back up against something for a little bit, 
that's where the bucket goes out the window. Um, and she said, yeah, they've got the back on them. I said, buy as many as you can. <laughs> Fill the card up. Well, I was pretty much like, I really meant, what I should have said was, buy them all. But I said, buy as many as you can, and she bought three. But if it would, if I could go back in time and be there, I would have bought, if they would have had 100, I would have bought all 100 of them. And I gifts. Gifts. I would have had Christmas for the next 20 years. Yep. Set up. So, anyways, yeah, good deal on, on the seats. But um, what other gear do you want to talk about? Um, I definitely think we should talk a little bit about the do's and don'ts just shortly. All right, do's. Actually, don'ts. Don'ts. Color. Yeah. Orange, don't wear it. You don't need it. You don't need it for dogs. White buckets without shirts on them. <laughs> yeah. Don't bring them. Yeah, they can see all that. Um, contrary to popular belief, doves are pretty smart. I mean, they definitely are going to shy away from things that don't look natural, that they're not used to seeing. They're going to they're gonna flare off, just like a duck or anything else. Don'ts. Shoot at low birds. Low birds. By low, he means... Less than 40 degrees. Less than 45, 40 degrees, 45 degrees angle, but low as in you're going to be shooting parallel to the ground towards where you could pepper someone straight on. Um, Getting peppered straight on is no fun. Now, that said, getting peppered is part of dove hunting. You're going to have shot rained. Getting rained on. Getting rained on. So getting rained on and getting peppered to me are two completely different things. I like getting rained on. That's fine. That's that. If you don't like that, you shouldn't be going. And getting rained on means shot that is just falling from gravity out of the air. From, from an angle above 45 degrees. Yeah, from way up high. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, you know, it's not going to hurt you. Dues, wear sunglasses. You know, I, I don't wear sunglasses that much. You can I, just keep your hat low, and yeah, if somebody shoots, you keep your head down. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. I'm convinced that doves can see the shiny glare off my lenses because i don't have drab lenses Mm -hmm. and i don't wear them i don't wear them bird hunting at all see i do that i don't wear them i don't wear them duck hunting for that reason i don't even wear them i don't even wear them dove hunting hardly i like to get like a matte lens yeah they should come out with a a matte lens but they it's hard to get those yeah um yeah i don't wear them but But i run i run like a a pretty i don't you have like the reflective yeah i've got some pretty shiny shiny i've got like a like a copper lens. Yeah, yours are probably so I'm a not better as, off I'm not as mind. worried. But I mean, the sun reflection on an overcast day, you best believe I'm going to wear mine. I generally wear mine anyways. Yeah, I, I definitely have them. I'm not saying I wear them the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, if the sun's right in my eyes, I'm going to put them on. But anyways, yeah, eye protection is pretty key. Other dues? Um, bring drinks. Drinks. Yeah. Um, if you come to the land trust dove hunt, there's going to be coolers. All around those fields, ice down waters, waters. unlimited waters. Um, definitely, here's a do. Do spend more time than you think you should looking for your down bird. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a peeve I have of people not searching for down birds, especially on public fields, or spending like a minute or two, and then they're like, "Oh, I'm not gonna find it," because I can guarantee you, I'll always go over there and find it with my dog. But if you don't have a dog, at least at least spend 15 to 30 minutes looking for it before you go back to shooting. I mean, yeah, they're hard to spot, but... No matter goodness. how you phrase it, it could be a do or a don't. I would, I'm would, i going to phrase it as a do. Um, when you pull the trigger and see a bird drop, um, 
definitely it depends on where you're hunting but marking that bird and I know it's it's very easy to have like four birds fly over and you're trying to crack down all th three with or four with three shots and you <laughs> don't look at where you drop your other birds that's how I in yes. the times that I've lost birds that's how I've lost them it's you know just trying to mark those birds as they're falling and because and, I mean it, you wouldn't in a cut cornfield you would think you'd be able to find a dove so easy wrong camouflage that wrong that dove gray is one of the most camouflage patterns on the planet yeah they can blend yeah. in like you would not believe yeah um, so definitely marking them and at least being confident within 10 feet of where that bird is landed that way that way you can go to that point and then kind of do some circles until you find it because um, shouldn't be a problem on our hunt. We plan on doing some burns on our fields and getting those things blacked out so it's just... So they should shine like, like a diamond when yeah, they hit. But. It's like a dove laying on the moon, hopefully. Yeah, that's what we look for. But I, we'll also have dogs. And if don't be afraid to ask a fellow with a dog. Yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. they're going to love to get their dog some extra work as long as it's not putting a damper on their hunt. So they might wait till they're done and then be like, yeah, I'll come over there when I'm done and find your bird for you. Well, I've done that. I've definitely yeah. done that where I've, I've marked birds and... You know, it's looked for five, ten minutes, whatever it may be. I know it gets frustrating if you've got birds flying and you're looking for a bird. But um, it, when you reach that point, which has happened to every dove hunter who's spent a significant amount of time looking for birds, you're eventually going to come across a spot where you shoot one down and you just cannot find it. Um, I'll mark the spot where I saw it go down, and then if I've got a buddy with a dog or somebody with a dog, once they get done shooting, ask if you can borrow them and their dog for a little bit and go back and, and look for it and they'll like you said i mean half the fun for somebody with a dog is working their yeah dog. that's why they're there yeah so they're they're not going to turn you down yeah. i i couldn't i couldn't imagine turning someone down like last year i think i think ellie found 65 doves on opening day or something stupid found, like that she found a bunch of mine i mean it was i mean it was a ridiculous amount so we had we were picking up doves all day um yeah so don't be afraid to ask somebody with a dog. What any else? Other, any other big do's or don'ts? Oh, man. Dove hunting do's and don'ts. You know, the plugs. Plugs. Uh, when we say plugs, the rules are such that when hunting a migratory bird, your gun is only allowed to have the capacity to hold three shells total. So that's two in the magazine. If it's a pump or auto and one in the chamber. Uh, obviously, if you're shooting a, you know, a double gun side by side or an over under, you don't have that issue. But with all the rest of them, you got to make sure that magazine is plugged because it's a dowel rod or whatever inside the inside the magazine tube that prevents it from holding any more shells because most of them can hold up to five or six. So you got to make sure that your capacity is you know appropriate for what you're hunting, and and that's important because you know. You, it's kind of like a goes back to the fair chase unfair advantage situation you know is it fair to have you know 10 shells in your gun for for doves i don't know i guess it's not really a big deal but it's just the rules mm -hmm. so make sure your gun's plugged um i'll, I'll give my hot tip slash ado uh, i think i get a lot of questions and it's super confusing i remember when i it just it it always confuses a lot of people, including myself sometimes um, early on. But another part of the licensing element that you need to complete before going out and shooting doves is filling out your HIP certification. Yep. Um, you know what that stands for? I don't. 
The Hunter Information Program. Hunter Information Program. It doesn't cost anything, but you have to complete it before you go and hunt. You can get a ticket if you don't. Um, But it basically is just going to ask you what birds you harvested last year. You know, how many doves, how many ducks, how many geese, how many snipe, whatever. Yep. Um, You fill it out. It takes three minutes. For all things that are migratory. Yeah, migratory birds. And, yeah, and after you fill that out, that's it. That's all you have to do. But I think a lot of people forget to do that, um, especially, like, people like me with an annual lic- or a lifetime license. Like, that's the only thing that I have to do to every year to yep. get certified. But it's easy to forget that that's like, oh, I still have things that I need to do online. So uh, make sure to get that filled out before you go hit the dub field. Yep, and it'll be printed right there on your license. It says mm-hmm. you did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. Um, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good tip. Um, as far as things to make sure you do before you go. Um, you know, I can't think of a whole lot more that you should do or don't do. Um, dove hunting is a pretty pretty daggone fun thing to do, and it's not a whole lot of uh, red tape as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it's a, the thing is, it's kind of a community game. Like It's, it's like a buddy sport. It is a buddy sport. Um, it's fun to hunt with a with a field full of folks like not over not that it's overly crowded but when you're 50 60 70 yards apart from each other where you could still holler back and forth and let each other know that there's one coming or whatever or you know laugh when your buddy misses and clean up his mess you know that's a good time it's like i don't know uh, it's like nothing else you can do i'm gonna close this out um you and i just went out and shot some skeets yeah. with Steely, yeah. our co-worker, and um, did a lot of shooting. But I think <laughs> one of the most fun things that we did was practicing for dove season by you going out in front of the thrower and then me going out in front of the thrower with our back to the thrower. Yeah. And then me not saying anything, not saying pull, and me just pulling and then saying, over your head, and having it scream over the top of your head, and you be quick on the trigger to get it before it got into the yeah, trees. simulating someone yelling at doves coming by you. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. that was fun. It was and and fun. it was, I mean, it, that's, good as good as, that's as good as practice gets for dove season. Yes, yeah, I mean. So that, that's a good hot do. tip for you. Do, do a little practice like that. Yeah, and I, you know what? It's funny, I had a buddy tell me this, and I almost thought it's, I've kind of rang it to be true, and it's not true. It's completely false, but for some reason it's like a mind game. He said, I don't like practicing before hunting season. And I was like, why? He said, because it makes me form bad habits. If I go on opening day, I always just shoot good. Hmm. He's like, if I go practice a whole bunch, I wind up being in a slump come hunting season. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a really funny thing to say, I think. I've shot twice in the last week, and I'm shooting again today. You're trying to be, you're trying to be, uh, you're trying to be the man. What we're trying to do, and that we'll talk about on the next episode um, after our hunt on Monday. But one thing I want to talk about, so remind me, is we will talk about our competition. Next competition, Sam and Cody competition, is ratio of birds to shots taken that we have on the opening day hunt. The goal, the un feasible, ungettable goal would be to have a one-to-one ratio of shots to birds. Oh, I won't try for that. But the real goal would be a limit of birds in a box. 
Yeah, that's what I that's what I strive for. What you strive for. So we'll come back um, next week and we'll talk about how we did um, on our ratios and and see who came out on top. You beat me last year. Yeah, I shot it inside a box mm-hmm. on opener. I you did, did not. Good. I did not the next day. But we were. It, see, that also depends on where you're sitting. If you're in a good spot, you can do it no problem. Because if they're coming in close, yeah, I mean, I think there's too many exterior factors I don't, that can limit. Yeah, that can. I don't know the ratio. We, yeah, I don't know that we can do it on unless we were sitting in the same exact spot side yeah. by side. Yeah, you know? and I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Me neither. <laughs> I like I like to spread it out a little bit. <laughs> no, um, man, I feel like there's something I'm leaving out about doves that we that we talked about before, and I I didn't take a note on it for whatever reason, but. Uh, I guess it's not that important, or we would have talked about it. Decoys? I mean, that wasn't it, but that's another thing you can do. Um, Doves decoy, believe it or not. Um, They sell them, and they do work, and depending on where you place them, they work better than other spots. But, hey, I just picked up another mojo, by the way. Did you? Yeah, I picked up an extra one. You're going to bring them in low. Yeah, that's a Oh, that is good. We didn't talk about that. Yeah, the mojo dove, which is a plastic-bodied dove, that has a motor in it that spins these little flappy perforated cardboard wings and makes it look like a dove landing it's it hypnotizes them no kidding like it really draws them in well most days i found on overcast days it doesn't work it actually kind of flares them away but on a sunny day it draws them in good but uh they come in low when they come to that thing they come in super low and usually try to land almost on it and last year i shot mine shooting a I was in a field alone. On a, on a solo hunt, not on yeah, the Yeah, I was alone. Time. I was alone, but I shot my uh, my decoy in shooting a dove. I hit the decoy as well, but uh, I don't know if it still works. I picked up another one, so I got a, I got a new one. Um, nice. Yeah, decoys are fun. I love using decoys. I think it's, it's I, I don't like hunting without them. Um, them and my dogs is what I use. Um, what else, man? Is that it? That's all I got. All right, then, well, um, have a uh, safe dove opener, and we'll talk to you after that. If you're like us, you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. When you get to where you're going, don't forget, like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. There you can find out about all the events we're putting on, all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.